In an unprecedented power grab, the Democrat-run House of Representatives has voted to strip a Republican congressman of her committee seats. Uh, they did this ostensibly because the Republican congressman has said kooky things on social media in the past. In reality, this is uh, just a power grab. You want to talk about upsetting historical and political norms. Uh, this is something we really haven't seen before. And of course, if the reasoning is legitimate, if delusion is disqualifying for serving in Congress, then we're not just going to have to remove one person from committees. We're going to have to abolish all the committees. We're probably going to have to abolish the entire House of Representatives. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Friday is from Julio Rosa who says AOC is the kind of girl that wears red to a stranger's funeral and cries louder than the actual family of the deceased. This is true. She also might stage some photo ops there. She might not actually be at the funeral, but just sort of just out outside of the frame and she, she'd be posing, crying. Actually, we'll have a little bit of AOC and crying and posing uh, just a little bit later in the show, but it's not time for that right now. How do I know it? Because of my movement watch. Valentine's Day is right around the corner and this is your ticket to win big. Beautiful packaging, super sleek designs, lasting classic gifts, much better than flowers. If you're single, you know that it is time to treat yourself. You know what you like best. So take advantage of the sale right now. Take a look through movements, hundreds of styles to choose from. I have been wearing movement watches for years. Uh, they've got every, every sort of watch you might want. You got those, these kind of minimalist, more modern designs. They've got some more, uh, sort of uh, detailed automatic watches even. I love their automatic watch. Check them out. They, they've got the quality of a $400, $500 watch. You can get them a whole lot cheaper. I've loved watches since I was eight years old and I've really, really enjoyed uh, movement watches. Use code VDAY20 at checkout to save 20% off on the perfect gift, mvmt.com slash Knowles, mvmt.com. You will get free shipping and free returns you can join the movement. Go to mvmt.com slash Knowles, a great Valentine's Day gift that, by the way, won't break the bank and really, really great quality. Code VDAY20 for 20% off. Make sure you go check out Movement. <laughs> Gotta love them. They've been with the show from the very beginning. Go check out Movement. I do not go for conspiracy theories, generally speaking. Now, what makes a conspiracy theory? I guess we could debate that all day long. But I, I'm, I'm not tempted to believe in conspiracy theories. I usually try to go for the simplest answer to things. I, I believe that so many people would need to be involved and on the know and know how to keep a secret for, for some of these theories to be true that I just don't buy it. However, I always enjoy reading conspiracy theories. I really like it. I will go down internet rabbit holes on all the craziest sort of conspiracy theories. Not because I think they're plausible, but because I, I enjoy seeing the thinking that goes into them. I have always gone sort of light on friends of mine who come to me with kind of crazy conspiracy theories. I don't harangue them. I don't scream at them. I don't castigate them because I, I find them in a way sometimes delightful uh, conspiracies and conspiracy theories can be the sign of an active mind. Might be the sign of a deranged mind, but at least active, at least people are thinking about these things. The other, the other reason that I don't harangue and go after people uh, who push these conspiracy theories is every once in a while, 
maybe not one out of 10 times, maybe not one out of a hundred, maybe it's one in a million, but every once in a while they turn out to be true. We've talked a lot about conspiracy theories with regard to the 2020 election. And if you, if you even suggest that anything was awry, anything was irregular about the election, you could be deplatformed. You could be kicked off of the internet. You could be kicked off of your servers. You could be kicked off of all these sorts of things. But sometimes turns out that they're true. For instance, Time Magazine publishes the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. This is a very, very long article. I killed many trees printing out this article. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to read anywhere near the whole thing, but just, just a few a few important paragraphs, I think, here. The, the article opens up talking about how Trump had all these theories that the election was going to be rigged. And then, and then, she writes, in a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO published on Election Day. This was uh, an agreement that they basically were not going to pursue claims of voter fraud. Skip a bit. Their work, this, this informal alliance, their work touched every aspect of the election. So, so this is not just after election day, but even before the election, you had this, this alliance of all these, these various groups, Time Magazine, right? I'm not reading some crazy message board on the internet. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, also known as voter integrity lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. Some of them, I think, voted for the first time because they died in 1892. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation. Uh, that, that is code word for it. They pressured big tech oligarchs to censor conservatives and used data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. Like for instance, when the New York Post got the story on Hunter Biden's corruption in Ukraine and China and they published it and it they tied it possibly, potentially to Joe Biden and then big tech suppressed the article. You couldn't even private message it to somebody on Twitter. You know, those data-driven strategies. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting traction. That's code word for they primed everybody for to, to always doubt any Republican win because they said that if a Republican won on election day, sure that might happen, but it would be a red mirage. And don't worry because once they finished counting the votes three weeks later in Philly, don't worry, it's going to be fine. The Democrats are going to turn out to win. So they, they already prepped, using big tech, they already prepped everybody not to trust any Republican victory. After election day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. Every pressure point, what's that? That's the courts, that's the election officials, that's public opinion. The untold story of the election is the thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation says Norm Eisen, a prominent lawyer and former Obama official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the Voter Protection Program. This, this is the key here to me. I, I mean, we could go on. There are many more thousands of words in this article. 
Everything that has been described thus far is a way to subvert American democracy. They're going to upend all the voter laws. They're going to get big tech oligarchs to clamp down on free speech. They're going to uh, suppress stories that are damaging to Democrats. They're going to stop election lawsuits after the fact. They're going to take away other ballot integrity measures. And this is the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation. The way that a Democrat an Obama official can say this with a straight face is because of something that we've talked about a lot on this show. For Democrats, according to Democrats, democracy is what happens when they win elections. Because of progress, because we know where we're headed, we know the arc of history, we know the science of politics, because we know what's in everybody's interest if they only throw off their shackles, because we know that Democrats are always supposed to win and Republicans cannot win. It is illegitimate for them to win. They're all Nazis, 75 million Nazis running around the country. Because of that, anytime a Republican does win, it has to be illegitimate. It has to be through fraud. It has to be because of Russia or the Macedonian click farms or Ukraine or whatever, right? It it can't be legit. So, If you undermine all of the democratic principles of our country, if you you undermine the institutions and the, the policies that are in place to protect the vote, but you do it in order to defeat a Republican and help elect a Democrat, that is seriously in their mind, the triumph of democracy. Absolutely, absolutely outrageous stuff. There are two Republican responses to this sort of thing. You can either be really upset or you can be really happy. (laughs) And there are some Republicans who are really happy, namely Wyoming Congressman Liz Cheney, daughter of Dick Cheney. Liz Cheney uh, hated Trump, has always hated Trump, voted to impeach Trump the second time over nothing. It was a completely farcical vote. Now Liz Cheney, who has just managed to hold on to her minor leadership position in the House GOP caucus through a secret ballot, she wouldn't have kept it otherwise, Liz Cheney is is going on the offensive against Trump. She's saying that Trump has no role in the future of the Republican Party. Chris, we're the party of Abraham Lincoln. We're the party of Ronald Reagan. Uh, We have to really take a hard look at who we are and what we stand for, what we believe in. Uh, I think when you look at both uh, his actions leading up to what happened on January 6th, uh, the fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that that, uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate, uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, Somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes, uh, which resulted in five people dying, who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence. Uh, that, that is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward. We have to make sure that we uh, are able to convey to the American voters we are the party of responsibility, we are the party of truth, uh, that we actually can be trusted to handle the challenges this nation faces like COVID. Uh, and, and that's going to require us to focus on substance and policy and issues going forward. But, but we should not be embracing the former president. It's difficult for me to take Liz Cheney seriously when she says we should be the party of truth as she is saying so many things that are untrue. She's saying that President Trump provoked an attack on the Capitol. Now, he clearly said, be peaceful, don't be violent, be peaceful before the attack, the whole time. 
you might say, well, because he was questioning the election, because he had these lawsuits, because he was saying all these things, that in itself provoked the attack. Okay, but then she says he refused to condemn the violence. He condemned the violence before, during, and after the riot at the Capitol. So that's just not true. Uh, she says we need to have these clear ideals and principles. I got to tell you something. I've lived through, you know, few admin, uh, Republican administrations now. The only Republican administration that I heard anything resembling clear principles from was Trump. I got a lot of mixed stuff from the Bush-Cheney administration, a lot of going back on certain campaign promises. We're not going to nation build. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Passing massive, massive entitlement programs after they said they'd govern as conservatives. Even going back to Bush's father, read my lips, no new taxes. How did that turn out? Major promise, completely broken. So I just don't want to hear the sanctimony anymore. But, but some Republicans believe the first thing we have to do, priority number one, attack Republicans and in particular attack the most recent Republican president. It's, it's very frustrating that they do this to Trump because to me, Trump is, is like every, everything he touched compared to other politicians, more or less turned to gold. And if you want to invest in gold, you got to check out Acre Gold. <laughs> how is that segue? Man, got to savor that for a second. You know how the price of gold has been skyrocketing lately. Well, now there's a new way to buy gold through a company called Acre. Acre lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as $30 a month. How on earth does that work? Gold bars cost more than $30. Well, it's an ingenious strategy. You pay each month. Once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. Just recently, Acre has introduced a new $100 a month subscription to a five gram gold bar. Also, check this out. You know how there's a nationwide shortage on ammo right now? Well, Acre is crafting, <laughs> this is so cool, a solid gold, 24 karat gold, nine millimeter bullet. And you can buy it now. Now, you cannot find anything like these on the internet. They are only making 1,000 of them, so they're going fast. To be clear, I, I can't believe I have to clear this up. Uh, you can't shoot these bullets, right? I guess unless you're trying to kill a werewolf or something. Uh, they, are, they are really, really cool. Go check them out. Visit getacregold.com slash Michael. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. That is getacregold.com slash Michael. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. Do you know how much I've loved investing in precious metals? Go check it out at Acre Gold. So there's two ways to respond to the constant and increasing democratic attacks and exaggerations and lies. One is you can buy into all of them. You can encourage them even. You can attack Republicans first. You can attack your own guys first. That's a typical response. Then there's another response, which is realize that it's a completely bad faith debate. Realize that the Democrats are being disingenuous in their attacks. Uh, realize that everything they accuse us of doing, they've done 10 times over and actually fight back against our real political opponents, the Democrats, and not just encourage infighting among, amongst ourselves. Rand Paul gets this. Rand Paul was asked about all of these sorts of uh, attacks on Republicans and he, he decided to go on the offensive. You know, I opposed the notion of, uh, which I think was a misguided notion of voting to overturn the election, either with Congress or with the vice president. 
But I think if we're going to criminalize speech and uh, somehow impeach everybody who says, oh, go fight to hear your voices heard, I mean, really, we ought to impeach Chuck Schumer then. He went to the Supreme Court, stood in front of the Supreme Court and said specifically, hey, Gorsuch, hey, Kavanaugh, you've unleashed a whirlwind and you're going to pay the price. You won't know what hits you if you continue with these awful decisions. This inflammatory wording, this violent rhetoric of Chuck Schumer was so bad that the Chief Justice, who rarely says anything publicly, immediately said this kind of language is dangerous as a mob tried to invade the Supreme Court. So if people want to call, hold President Trump accountable for language, there has to be a consistent standard. And to my mind, it's a partisan farce because they're not doing anything to Chuck Schumer, not doing anything to Representative Omar, not doing anything to Maxine Waters. It's just not fair. It's just partisan politics under a different name. Thank you. Thank you, Rand. Rand Paul has really been impressing me of late. He's here speaking specifically about the impeachment. This could, could be said, though, of, of many other political matters today the question of kicking people off of committees or banishing Trump, you know, from the Republican party. It's a partisan farce, what they're saying. Anything you accuse Trump of, anything. He incited violence. Uh, what, what happened for the past eight months? He, Trump incited violence. He said, be peaceful before, during, and after the riots. Meanwhile, you have Maxine Waters, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris bailing out the rioters for goodness sakes. All of them encouraging violence on their own side. You don't see them getting censured. You don't see them being removed or impeached. It's a farce and, and it's backed up by squishy Republicans, by court jester conservatives like Liz Cheney, who spends much of her time, more of her time, most of her time, perhaps, as far as I can tell, attacking Republicans rather than going after the Democrats. Rand Paul gets that. I mean, that, that's a guy. I don't agree with Rand Paul on everything. Just as Rand Paul he sa says, I don't agree with Trump on everything. And yet, I think we should all be able to recognize. You can say those. You can say that. Look, I, I disagreed in many ways with how Trump handled, not just the past two months, but actually the way he handled the past year. I think he mishandled coronavirus. It was not entirely his fault. He was faced with an unbelievable amount of pressure. But I, I wish he had, he had cut it out sooner and turned on Fauci sooner. You know, okay, sure. I got these problems with him. Doesn't mean I think we should banish Donald Trump. I think we got to defend our guy. I think the real threat is coming at us from the left. Rand Paul understands that sort of thing. Some other Republicans, they seem not to understand that one little bit. If, if you think, I'll, I'll go back to that Republican congressman for a second. If you think that this woman is kooky and delusional and unfit for office, take a listen to some of the Democrats. Rashida Tlaib, a member of the squad, took to the uh, House floor the other day to discuss uh, the riot at the Capitol that she was not present for and uh, basically turned it into a struggle session of the New York radical women's group, like something out of the 1970s. She just stood up there and cried because of how scared she imagined she could be. On my very first day of orientation, I got my first death threat. It was a serious one. They took me aside. The FBI had to go to the gentleman's home. I didn't even get sworn in yet when someone wanted me dead for just existing. More came later, uglier, more violent. One celebrating and writing the New Zealand massacre and hoping that more would come. Another mentioning my dear son, Adam. <laughs> 
mentioning him by name. Each one paralyzed me each time. So what happened on January 6th, all I could do was thank Allah that I wasn't here. I felt overwhelming relief and I feel bad for Alexandria, so many of my colleagues that were here. But as I saw it, I thought to myself, thank God I am not there. I saw the images that they didn't get to see until later. Yeah, they, they didn't get to see it till later because they weren't there either. AOC walks up and just puts her hand on her back while this lunatic woman is crying. What is she crying over? What is this woman who is supposed to be a national leader, someone, a statesman, someone with uh, composure, reason, uh, a sort of elevated or at least normal comportment? What is she crying over? She wasn't there. AOC wasn't there either, by the way, as we've discussed over the past uh, couple weeks. She was not in the Capitol. She was at a building down the street. The building was evacuated, sure, but the rioters were not there. Rashida Tlaib is, is hysterically crying at the House floor because she has received death threats. Every single person in public life, especially politics, has received death threats. Everyone. She says she received death threats because she was existing. No, she is receiving death threats because she's in politics. And it's an ugly fact of politics, but every single person who is in politics gets death threats. But she got death threats against her family. Every single person who is in any way, even slightly prominent in politics, gets death threats. That is part of the job. It's a sad part. It's an unfortunate part. If you're not prepared for that, if that, if that aspect of the job, if that danger and that unpleasant interaction is going to reduce you to a, an hysterical crying lunatic, then you should get out of the job. You're not fit for it. Compare her because I, I think this actually was genuine. I think this woman genuinely is unhinged compared to somebody like AOC, who I think is basically as cold as they come. I think she's got ice water running through her veins. Compare her to AOC who then walks up. So this woman blubbering in this very dishonorable display, then AOC sees an opportunity and she just walks up cool as a cucumber, puts her hand on her back, poses for the camera. (laughs) You know, I mean, this woman, man, she is, she is spooky, that AOC. But I, they're not, they're not the same. She, she recognized an opportunity here to get herself on camera and AOC never misses that at all. They used to say that the most dangerous place in, Man- in, in uh, Washington rather was between Chuck Schumer and a TV camera. I think AOC has taken that honor. But this is, this is pathetic. Whatever kooks there are in the Republican Party, ain't none of them as kooky as Rashida Tlaib and AOC. If, th- if this is how people respond to, to routine adversity, in politics. They, they have no place in Congress. The, the, the reason I, I bring any of this up and the reason I'm even referring over the shoulder to this Republican congressman that they took off the committees is everyone seems to think this is about this woman. Her name is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Everyone thinks they're just after her and then once they get her, it'll be all over. It's not. They're not after her. She is a particularly kooky and eccentric person, so they're going after her because she's easy to attack. They're after all of us, okay? Marjorie Taylor Greene is just now an easy target. Virtually no one would have ever heard her name if CNN and the Democrats did not make her 
a big deal because they, they want to make Republicans either defend her or attack her. Either way, they win. Really, I think the only way that Republicans can respond in a, in a prudent way to this sort of thing is to do what the Democrats would do in the same situation, namely completely ignore the attacks and just move on. This woman is not particularly consequential. She's a member of Congress. How many names of, of members of Congress can you rattle off? Like 10, hundreds of members. You could, how many could you actually name? Sort of inconsequential, but it's not just about her. It's, it's not even just about Trump. It's about all of us. And actually, Bill Maher, who is, who is wrong about so many things, so powerfully wrong, Bill Maher is, is every so often honest about the left's actual aims. And Bill Maher more or less admitted this on his show. This is not just about one or two eccentric people spouting off crazy theories. This is about delegitimizing half of the country. The triumph of democracy, as Time Magazine puts it, is when half the country is suppressed, ostracized, no longer has a voice. You know, Ben is going to be talking about the Time Magazine article, talking about how all the elites manipulated the 2020 election. He's also going to be talking about uh, the Biden administration uh, continuing to tamp down school reopening. So go check that out on his show. You know, you've probably heard me talk about our all access membership before, but for those of you who have not heard me talk about it, it is our most elite membership base here at the Daily Wire. Our Daily Wire members receive two, not one, but two leftist tears tumblers when they sign up. Being an all access member means that they get to watch full coverage of all Daily Wire shows. What's more, they get to tune into the exclusive all access live, a show featuring all the different hosts uh, every single day where we, uh, we get to chat with the all access members. One thing I really love about it is I get to hear your ideas. If you are an all access member, chances are you follow politics. You've got pretty interesting ideas. And so I get to steal them and put them on my show. It's really helpful. Today, we want to publicly thank all of our all access members for their commitment to the Daily Wire. To show our appreciation, we are going to be mailing out a special anniversary Tumblr for all renewing all access members this year. Voila. This on the front, you see you've got the classic leftist tears, hot or cold. Daily Wire on the back. You get all of our John Hancocks, me, Ben, Drew, Matt, Jeremy, uh, plus a short statement about our belief that America's best days are still ahead of us. This is a commemorative piece to our five-year journey. And a thank you to all of our All Access members in particular for supporting what we're doing here. So thank you very much. Cheers. Guzzle the tears. We'll be right back with a lot more. Democrats want us to believe that they're, they're just after that Congress lady, or they're just after Trump, or they're just after, I don't know, there's always someone they seem to be just after, just one more person, and then they'll respect us, then they'll like us, right? Bill Maher, who is occasionally honest, o- o- often wrong, but occasionally honest, has admitted th- this isn't about Trump or Marjorie Greene or QAnon or conspiracy theories. It's about all of us. It's about conservatives. It's about Christians. It's about people who hold traditional beliefs in this country. The left thinks we're all the same. The left thinks there's no difference. I've I've mentioned this on the show. You notice how they don't say alt-right anymore. The alt-right, whatever that, at one point I think it did have a real meaning, but now it doesn't really have any meaning at all. They don't care about the alt-right or the this-right or the conservatives. or They just think we're all the same. Bill Maher, 
They just think we're all the same and they think we're all completely in, lo, lunatics, right? Completely insane. And they, they want us ostracized from society. As long as we're going to go to the trouble of another impeachment trial, we might as well be honest about what it's really about. <clears throat> the events of January 6th were a faith-based initiative. And Trumpism is a Christian nationalist movement that believes Trump was literally sent from heaven to save them. It's right there in Senator Tommy Tuberville's campaign ad. God sent us Donald Trump because God knew we were in trouble. There's a lot of talk now in liberal quarters about how Republicans should tell their base who still believe the election was rigged that they need to grow up and move on and stop asking the rest of us to respect their mass delusion. And of course, it is a mass delusion. But the inconvenient truth here is that if you accord religious faith the kind of exalted respect we do here in America, you've already lost the argument that mass delusion is bad. It's fun to laugh at QAnon with the baby-eating lizard people and the pedophile pizza parlors, but have you ever read the book of Revelations? Because uh, Bill Maher probably hasn't read the book of Revelations because the book of Revelation is not called the book of Revelations. The dude couldn't even get the name of the book right as he's making fun of it, which is true of so many of these sophomoric atheist types. I mean, I think, I think the days of the Bill Maher style atheism are over. There was this kind of publishing fad in the mid 2000s. They called him the new atheist. It was like Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and their books. I read some of their books, uh, were very weak. I mean, they didn't even make the arguments they were purporting to make, but you know, it was popular among like 14 year old boys in urban areas or something. And, uh, it, it, it wasn't, to be really taken seriously. And Bill Maher is not to be taken seriously, right? He doesn't, he, he, he exposes the biblical literacy and uh, theological insight of most of these people. He doesn't even know the name of the book, but he is espousing the view, I think, of many leftists. Namely, if you believe that there's something more to this world than just physical matter that, uh, you know, beyond the, the tumbler and the desk and the microphone and my body. If you believe that our, in our bodies, we're not just meat puppets, but we actually have souls or we have a mind, we have uh, loves, dreams, other ideas, there's mathematics, right? Things that are metaphysical. They're not just physical. That you're kind of kooky. Now, of course, if you put it in those terms to them, they would say, no, I don't deny math. I don't deny dreams. I don't deny ideas. But they they do. They just aren't philosophically sophisticated enough to talk about it. You know, you, you sort of, you can imagine Thomas Aquinas looking down from heaven now saying, oh darn, I got owned by Bill Maher. I never, re I never realized that it's foolish to believe in the book of revelations. Darn, totally owned by that hack comedian. <laughs> I, Thomas Aquinas, one of the most brilliant people to ever walk the earth. This is what they believe. Now you've heard that phrase in there that Bill Maher mentioned, Christian nationalism. What is Christian nationalism? What does that mean? It's a phrase that's become popular. These, these slogans spread like memes, and the left has been pushing this one recently. I guess Christian nationalism means the belief that we are a nation and a Christian nation at that, which is obviously true, right? The United States is a Christian nation. There is some complexity to that because it's a Christian nation that has broad toleration among the Protestant denominations and even had toleration for Catholics. And even from the founding era had toleration for Jews and didn't totally love uh, Muslims because uh, obviously 
the early Americans were being uh, uh, kidnapped and killed by Barbary pirates. That was our first war after we had gained independence. So that complicated things. But, you know, generally then we kind of expanded tolerance uh, to some Muslims too. And okay, so it's, it's all of that is complex. History is much more complex than slogans. But while all of that is true, it is also the case that we are a Christian nation. We were founded by Christian zealots who, who took a ship over here from England called the Mayflower and founded a, a puritanical colony. Later Puritans who arrived referred to this as a shining city upon a hill. We had established churches in this country well past the founding era. Our, our document, uh, our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, refers to the philosophical basis of this country as the natural rights that uh, we are endowed with by our creator. What was their vision of a creator? We'll go back and read their writings. Their vision of a creator was, at least broadly speaking, a Christian God. Well, of course, they were steeped in the Christian culture. It's not, it's not a Hindu country. It's not a Muslim country. It wasn't a Jewish country. And it wasn't a, a pagan country. Right? It wasn't a, a secular atheist country, which I guess you'd say now the dominant religion in the country is secular liberalism or, sec, you know, sort of atheism, I guess, or some kind of weird paganism with all the crystals and the horoscopes and all the wacky stuff that liberals believe now. But certainly Thomas, even Thomas Jefferson was pretty radical, didn't believe that. John Adams didn't believe that. George Washington didn't believe that. So what, what Bill Maher is saying is these awful, terrible people they believe in the vision of America as it existed from 1620 until like five minutes ago. But that's bad. That's evil. That's wicked. That needs to be ostracized because we on the left want to upend society. We want to overturn that tradition and implement our radical designs. At least he's honest. At least he's honest. I think that's true of most, most left-wingers believe that sort of thing, but they aren't willing to admit it. The reality of, of what the left believes about us is uh, pretty spooky. There's a doctor who just got in some trouble because he, uh, he had some pretty negative things to say about his country and about his countrymen. Dr. Cleveland Gilman uh, had, a, had a, a video going around regarding people in Florida not wearing masks. He said, Naples, Florida, let them die. I'm so tired of these people. No vaccine for y'all. Okay, now you might say this doctor, he was just kidding. He was letting off steam. He was being intentionally provocative. He didn't really mean that. Well, he got a lot of blowback. And so he apologized, sort of. He said, Republicans trying to take my words out of context as if I deny medical care to people that, wear, that don't wear masks and let them die. Okay, well, good. Yeah, I guess we did think that because that's what you said you were going to do. So I'm glad you're saying I'm not really going to do that. And then he goes on. He says, my point is that we can't waste our energy on these COVID deniers. They are not going to protect themselves, so let them die. They'll find out the hard way. Wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> you, you just said you didn't. So you said that's what you believe, and then you said that was taken out of context, and you don't believe that. And then one sentence later, you said, but that actually is what I believe. And this guy, is, he's not just some random doctor mouthing off. I mean, first of all, you'd expect more from any doctor. These are supposed to be elevated people who've gone to a lot of schooling, who have a bedside manner, who are sacrificing themselves. This guy is prominent enough that Joe Biden gave him a call on the campaign trail and they filmed an ad together. Hello? 
Hey, Dr. Gilman, this is Joe Biden. I just called to thank you for your service. You're an Iraqi war veteran. You know, I understand that you're going to do whatever it takes to get this pandemic under control. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate what you and so many others like you are doing, risking your rear ends and going out of your way to help other people. Thanks a lot, sir. You know what? I grew up with a, a speech impediment, and I did not really have a whole lot of opportunities until I joined the military. I've been very fortunate to have come home unscathed. I was in New York on the front lines whereas I lost three of my colleagues out there. I lost my 27-year-old cousin who was really healthy, who was trying out for the NFL. I'm really looking forward to you becoming president, sir. I'm going to do everything in my power, and I promise you, Doc, you're going to have a full-blown partner. You have my word as a Biden. All right, so you have a great day. Now, in Joe's defense... My word is a Biden and a buck 50 will get you a cup of coffee. So, uh, so that, that at least is a little bit of comfort, but I don't like the idea that Gilman's going to have a full, full partner in Joe Biden is Gilman is saying that he wants conservatives to die. He doesn't just want them to lose elections, want us to lose elections. He doesn't just want us to shut up or something. He wants us to die. He said that then he said he didn't say that, but then he said it again in the very next sentence. The left is not going to turn on this guy. The left is not going to turn on it just like they didn't turn on Maxine Waters or Hillary Clinton or Eric Holder or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris or any of these people who have, who have actively encouraged violence against conservatives. I'm beginning to get the impression that they don't like us. And any political strategy, look, politics changes by circumstance. There are eternal principles, but we apply those principles through the light of uh, received opinion and tradition to changing circumstances. And where once it may have been a prudent strategy to try to make nice and be conciliatory with Democrats and come together in kumbaya, your, your opponents get a say in politics, just like your enemies get a say in war. And if, if they don't like us, if they don't want to work with us at all, and we, we can't force it. We're only going to hurt ourselves if we force it. Two different strategies. You know, Liz Cheney saying that uh, Trump has no role in the future of the Republican Party. Who do you think better represents the Republican Party right now? Donald Trump and people of like mind? Or Liz Cheney and people of, of her like mind? Which one do you think? Trump or Cheney? Who would you, if election were held today, who would you vote for? I, I don't think it would be close. The, the hypocrisy is, I, the double standard rather, is I think what's showing this to people. You get this doctor, you get all this kind of violent rhetoric. You get Antifa marching through the streets of DC just the other day with Black Lives Matter, chanting that they wanted to burn it down. Take a listen. A little hard to hear it, and we had to bleep out every other word. And that's the most peaceful video I could find. A lot of the other videos are involving real clashes between police. Uh, Antifa protesters uh, threatened to burn down Washington, D.C. during the, quote, D.C. Queer and Trans Black History Month March and Rally. Pause for a second. 
obviously I don't keep up with the uh, liturgical calendar of liberalism too much. I'm, I'm still looking at the sort of old Catholic liturgical calendar, you know. Uh, but so I, I knew though that February was Black History Month. Turns out it's no longer just Black History Month. It's uh, queer and trans Black History Month. So I don't know when sort of ordinary black people get their own history month, but this has gotten very, very specific. The direct quote from the Antifa people was, if we don't get it, burn it down. So this is a violent insurrection in Washington, D.C., much more violent than what happened at the Capitol, just as the BLM riots over the summer in D.C. were much more violent than anything that happened at the Capitol. And everyone condemns the Capitol. Fair enough. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I think riots are very bad. Nobody, nobody, except for some Republicans, some conservatives, condemn this kind of stuff in D.C. The, the tough Republicans condemn this stuff in D.C. The squishy Republicans, not so much. Complete double standard here. Complete double standard. And it, it does come out of a sort of new caste system, a racial and sexual caste system that the left is trying to push. I mean, that, you know, you, you see it even in the way they name the months, right? It goes from Black History Month to Queer and Trans Black History Month. They're just getting more and more narrow on more and more victim groups. And the idea, of course, is that your, your value comes from the amount of grievance and suffering that you can claim. And that value translates to certain privileges. If certain protected groups, be they sexual racial or political get, uh, you know, commit certain acts, commit violence in the streets, they will not be punished in the same way that disfavored groups on sexual, racial, and political lines do. You could say it's hypocrisy or it's a double standard. Sure. It's really just a, a hierarchy. As I think Adrian Vermeule, the law professor, made this, made, makes this distinction, hierarchy versus hypocrisy. The, the liberal regime just has a new hierarchy. And, and the left is explicitly trying to push this. You may remember some months ago, Nick Cannon got canceled. He got semi-canceled because he made comments about uh, white people broadly and Jews specifically. And they were pretty, pretty vicious comments. So he'd lost some of his contracts. He got in a little bit of trouble. According to the Hollywood Reporter, Viacom, CBS, has resumed its professional relationship with Nick Cannon, will allow Nick Cannon to get his job back and resume production on his very same VH1 series, Wild and Out. Uh, Viacom says, quote, Nick has not only apologized and taken responsibility for his comments, but he has also worked to educate himself and others through engagement with Jewish leaders and on his platforms. Those efforts are of the most utmost importance. And that's why we have invited him to rejoin our team. On a separate note, we just learned that he tested positive for COVID and we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, okay. What does the COVID thing have to do with anything? So a few levels to this here. First of all, if this were reversed and if the people that Nick Cannon attacked had made any kind of racial comments in the other direction, they would not be given a second chance. They would not be given probably any work in the future, much less their job back. It just wouldn't happen. That is a special privilege that Nick Cannon has received that disfavored groups would not receive. But there's another level here. So I'm, I'm glad to see that Nick Cannon has apologized for his comments about Jews and he went to the Holocaust Memorial 
and he's sort of did a few performative acts to say he, he regrets his comments about Jews. That's good. But he's, ne- he's never apologized for his vicious comments against white people generally. In case you had forgotten, take a listen. Melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul that mm-hmm. we call it. We call it soul. We soul brothers and sisters. That's the melanin that connects us. Right. So the people that don't have it have are are a little and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully <laughs> are a little less and 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 where the term actually comes from because I'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to Minister Farrakhan. The only way that they can act is evil. The only way they can, they, they have to rob, steal, rape, kill, and fight or flight okay. in, or, in order to survive. Exactly. So then these people who didn't have what we had, and when I say we, I speak of the mm-hmm. melanated people. Right. They had to be savages. They had to be barbaric. They had, because they're in these Nordic mountains, they're in these rough, uh, torrential environments. Mm. So they, they're acting as animals. Right. So they're the ones that are actually closer to animals. White people, you see, actually closer to animals. They're less than, they're, they're savages because they don't have souls. It's become sort of trite even to, to do this whole thing of, well, if the roles were reversed, could you imagine? (laughs) Just imagine though for a second. Ryan Seacrest, you know, is doing his podcast and he's got some guests on and he says, you see, the thing about melanated peoples is they're animals and savages and they don't have souls. I'm talking about black people, you see. Yes. No, you understand. And then have the person there. He says, yes, no, I, I totally agree. And then Ryan Seacrest goes on. He says, yeah, you know, they're less than, and uh, that's why they behave like animals. Of course, you know, this sort of thing would, would never happen. If it did, I think Ryan Seacrest would be sent to Guantanamo Bay for saying something like this, right? But Nick Cannon gets away with this, never apologizes for it, right? He apologizes for very specific comments, but doesn't apologize for these broader comments. And he gets his job back. Do you think that's a fair system? Do you think that's a system for racial equity, uh, tolerance, unity, and healing? No, absolutely not. It's a vicious, vile caste system that deplores some people on the basis of race and sex, by the way, and religion, as Bill Maher showed, and all these sorts of things, and gives other people special privileges. Do we want to live under that system? Does anybody want to live under that system? I don't think so. Mass delusion, my friends. There was a, uh, a monument that just went up at, at the Lincoln Memorial. So there's obviously the Lincoln Memorial's a monument. There's another monument that just went up to Vice President Kamala Harris. What has Kamala Harris done? Nothing. Why did they put it up? Well, because she's the first woman of color elected to the nation's second highest office. And so it's a memorial, not a memorial, she's still alive. It's a monument that's, that's got some shattered glass on it. You get it? So subtle, shattered the glass ceiling. Now she's not the first person of color to serve as vice president. That was uh, actually Herbert Hoover's vice president almost hundred years ago. But this portrait is up there. Now it shows that the, the left does not view Kamala Harris as a person. They view her as a type, just like they view all people as types. You're your race or you're your sex or you're whatever, but you're not an individual. And speaking of bad art, I can't, the only thing I want to say about the Super Bowl, other than Tom Brady, very impressive, great stuff. Uh, the only thing I want to say is Amanda Gorman. Amanda Gorman is that slam poet, slam poetess that spoke at the inauguration that we, we went over on this show. Uh, this is the first Super Bowl 
Thankfully, I didn't watch it, but it's the first Super Bowl I've ever heard of that had a slam poetry section to it. And they chose for the slam poem, the now famous inaugural poetess, Amanda Gorman. Take a listen. Today, we honor our three captains for their actions and impact in a time of uncertainty and need. They've taken the lead, exceeding all expectations and limitations, uplifting their communities and neighbors as leaders, healers, and educators. James has felt the wounds of warfare, but this warrior still shares his home with at-risk kids. During COVID, he's even lent a hand, live-streaming football for family and fans. Tremaine is an educator who works nonstop, providing his community with hotspots, laptops, and tech workshops so his students have all the tools they need to succeed in life and in school. Susie is the ICU nurse manager at a Tampa hospital. Her chronicles prove that even in tragedy, hope is possible. She lost her grandmothers to the pandemic and fights to save other lives in the ICU battle zone, defining the frontline heroes, risking their lives for our own. I can't, I can't take any more. Uh, Harold Bloom called slam poetry the death of art. Absolutely, that is true. We have mass delusion. All, all around this country right now. <laughs> if anyone believes that the audience of the Super Bowl wants to listen to some politically correct woke slam poem, goodness gracious, we are, our problems of delusion, they go a lot deeper than some random congressman. When, oh, when will we get our senses back? If we keep listening to that sort of stuff, not anytime soon. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Cancel Culture claims three new victims. We'll review the most notable events from the Super Bowl and the Washington Post is concerned that the Buccaneers mascot may normalize piracy. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.